Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about loot pinatas, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it is fairly simple. On this podcast, we talk about games. Now, what is it you mean when you say a loot pinata? So, I'm, 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 I'm generally talking about um, games that kind of core mechanics revolve around loot, and using that loot to make yourself better... And then going and using that to get more loot, etc., etc. Um, this kind of uh, popped into my head because I jumped into Path of Exile for the newest League. Um, it's a game that I occasionally try and get into and usually kind of fall short, but it's, it's I'm doing pretty well at this point. Uh, it's only been a couple of days, though. Um, uh, it's also you know like Diablo, but the other big part of this is uh, is that. Uh, we're kind of on the eve of the release of Borderlands 3, which is a game that also falls into it, even though it has a different set of mechanics. It's obviously a first-person shooter as opposed to uh, what is basically a third-person ARPG, which is the way these games usually take shape. Um, and uh, you actually highlighted for us uh, a tweet that was essentially like, the Borderlands writing is crap. And I, and my, my kind of immediate gut response was, and... Like, I don't play Borderlands for the writing, although, you know, it's a thing that variously gets celebrated or derided, um, depending on how contrarian or, or, or bro-ish, I guess, people are trying to be. Um, but to me, that was always kind of like icing on the cake and something that could be safely ignored if I, if it bothered me, because it was all about getting the, getting the, you know, the three billion guns and shooting with them and, and, you know, getting more stats. Um, um, and I think that there's some applicability of this also outwards to things like, say, uh, World of Warcraft, which isn't exactly a loot pinata, but is still premised on kind of the get loot, improve your character, do it, do the, the same thing again but harder or faster, get more loot type of loot. Yeah, yeah, no, that was the, that was kind of my question a little bit, right? Like, for instance, like, is Skyrim a loot pinata? Because, like, items are a part of that game and you upgrade, but I wouldn't really think about Skyrim where... The items are relatively rare, and it's not like you are, you know, you're doing a lot of quests for experience or to just kind of, like, move through the story or to accomplish some other kind of intangible goal, like becoming head of the the magic college or whatever it's called. Um, and so, like, you know, like, where where does that, like, kind of line get drawn so, is, so I, is a part of interest to me. Yeah. So I think for a pure loot pinata game, I don't think even World of Warcraft qualifies, right? Like, loot pinata, I think, is, is especially brought up to describe the kind of Diablo-esque thing where you finish a big boss and, like, literally loot comes pouring out of him and, you know, there's, like, a thousand objects on the ground. It's like, oh, boy, let me pick up my stuff. I think that's, like, the purest loot pinata. But I think kind of, you know, we're, we're, I'm calling it loot pinata because it's, like, a catchy episode name. But I think the kind of general almost skinner boxian um kind of lo gameplay loop that supports that um i think is the more interesting thing to address right yeah I'll i mean so the funny thing is is that the term loot pinata actually originates from world of warcraft rating it's a very easy boss fight the oh, loot really? pinata is the boss fight the, yeah so um the first one I encountered was in Ice Crown Citadel, which is, like, the the gunship battle or whatever. And it was considered a loot pinata because, like, you just walk in there and finish that fight. It's not hard or difficult at all. Um, and various other bosses, you know, throughout history have been, like, described as, like, the loot pinata boss. And it, it is 
it's the uh <laughs> it's it's like derisive in a sense of like the encounter like the encounter is not hard it's really easy just like go get your free fucking like loot or whatever um but it made a very easy transition i think into uh sort of like the the diablo 3 kind of where you finish your rift or you finish fighting your boss or whatever and a bunch of like, you know, ding, 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 ping, ping, ping. And then they all start glowing with what the loot was, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think I think it's interesting because like I would say that like under no kind of definition, even a more expansive one, does Skyrim really fall under it? One, because I think the loot tables are set in Skyrim, but even if they theoretically weren't, like the game isn't based so much around itemization that it would really qualify, right? Like, you're not going to, you know, go run the same dungeons to pick up, like, better versions of the same loot, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think this really comes, kind of comes on, you know, you have to roll against the table, you have to get lucky, and uh, that's kind of what draw, what drives the gameplay loop. Um, I think that's kind of, like, the broadest definition that I'm comfortable with. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so something else that I that I think about in in these kinds of terms is like the background uh, sort of like Skinner box that defines them, right? Like, so at what point is the game just about shoving you upgrades in order to continue your like fun with the game? Like, clicker game was kind of yeah. like this, right? Like, is a clicker game a loop pinata? Like, that's the upper bound, whereas something like Skyrim is kind of, like, the lower bound. And I would probably say that a lot of these clicker games, like, they kind of abstract it all away so hard and it's so direct at that point that it's not really a loot pinata anymore. Because even at, like, at its core, right, like, you need a little bit, there's, like, a sweet spot in there where it is about, like, improving your... Like, um, improving your character in kind of, like, measurable, like, tangible ways and and fitting in the sort of the puzzle piece of the loot. Um, And so, you know, something kind of, uh, something like Clicker Heroes, well, I've never really played Clicker Heroes, I'm trying to think of a good example of one of these sorts of games. Um, But any sort of game that runs on, like, vast amounts of wealth and experience, but doesn't really have items or anything along those lines. Like, yeah, even if you are leveling up to level 999, and every level you get to put incremental bonuses to the amount of gold that your clicks are worth, or whatever, um, that that is not sufficient to consider it to be, like, loot, right? Those experience points are not loot, even though they are part of an overarching progressive progression system yeah I, I mean i think part of it too is that like the clear games don't quite hit the same kind of um skinner box type thing just because the number go up and that's part of it but like that's it's not like there's a a number to like not, not a number um it's 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 there, there's no randomness to it right like your number is always kind of going up i think part big part of this is like you know i'm running the raid every week so i get the chance of getting the thing i want my numbers could go up but they might not and that's kind of part of the thing that keeps you going back to the, the uh there's like a i think it's a, i think it's the actual the skinner box experiment where um essentially if you give give a like a, a mouse like uh, a feeding tube and it gives him food every time he presses the button. He'll take he'll press the button as many times as he needs to to get the amount of food he needs. But if it's like a random chance, he'll just keep pressing the, the, the button. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I think that randomization mechanic is, is is a big part of the payoff in those in in, in these types of games, um, uh-huh. which is impressive in the clicker games. Or or like I pointed out in the Sky in Skyrim, which has a set loot table. Um, 
but yeah, um, I'm kind of interested in this because, like, I feel like, you know, most of the games we talk about in, in kind of our normal discourse about, like, games as art versus games as sport, um, most games as sport are kind of competitive in multiplayer, but I think that these, these, these loot pinati type games are primarily games as sport, especially when it comes to, like, these, these ARPG type games. Um, it's, you know, more about kind of just, like, the pure visceral joy of, of the, uh, of the mechanics, um, and of, like, kind of, like, that, that ping of dopamine when you get an upgrade, rather than it is about, um, say, about, like, you know, experiencing a a well-thought-out story, necessarily, right? Like, you, you... That is sport to you? I mean, I, in terms of this sport, sport, sport art dynamic, right? Like, on the sport art, um uh axis right like maybe there's a better axis to describe it but that like it's definitely not art right oh Um, see i i would say that it definitely is here here's i would say it definitely is art but not necessarily good art right like just that it is kind of like here's here's my essential pitch right when we did our episode on violence in video games we talked about a couple of different approaches to how like violence works but the one that i like the best and the one that we kind of settled on sort of is this idea that like humans have an innate desire for violence and conflict and the the act of playing a video game right is this way that we can kind of like offload that like inherent natural desire to see violence into this other thing right to like kind of externalize that in in a, in a way and in the same way that we might understand that desire and that kind of like base fantasy and like watch an action movie in order to satisfy it right we have that same sort of like that we have that same sort of desire surrounding skinner boxes and we mask it with like loot pinata mechanics and like the aesthetics of borderlands or like the story of world of warcraft in order to kind of like justify it right like the core feedback loop in there is something that is almost like primal right that like skinner box need to just like continue shoving the to just continue pressing the button yeah right um but we are but we are uh we are covering it over and that and that covering is kind of like how art happens do you know what i mean i i see what you're saying and maybe this is more balanced than i was giving it credit for but I think part of this too is like the the performative part of it, which is where this the the the, um, uh, the 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 clicker hero kind of comparison comes in, right? Like part of this is like a desire to see number go up, which I think is an expression of kind of like performance talent, even if it's not like you know talent. But I think that's a very sports based thing, right? Like oh, interesting. I see what you're saying. And the upgrades you get from the Skinner box let you perform better, which I think is part of it, which, which I think is a very sports-like aspect to it. But I, I Oh, I yeah, think... that's fair, actually. I, I, I think it, it definitely falls somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think that there are – I can't think of um, – like, I do think that kind of coat of paint – honestly, terming it like that coat of paint is – yeah like not giving it enough kind of like credit because i think that matters a lot i think if people understand the skinner box, you, you see this with wow and, and we've talked about this a little bit with wow right like at a certain point wow kind of like becomes this thing where you're just like i'm just pressing a button once every second or whatever for like items to help me press buttons to help my numbers look better and it like completely yeah. destroys the entire illusion 
of like the game and the experience right and so like the aesthetic and the mask on top is insanely important in order to like to keep the skinner box from revealing itself i guess um but uh yeah no i i think that makes sense because in terms of just like the skinner box like wow clearly leans more on its art right it's got a better story than like diablo right and it's got like it's more you know you also you know you're going for mog you're going for you know pets you're going for mounts these are things that um you know don't actually make you better at the performative aspect of the game although some of it does right like there, there is that aspect to it but um a lot of the things you drive for when you're kind of outside of your core raid loop or whatever is are are kind of things that are like purely expressive and i guess in that kind of art zone um Whereas I I would guess I would say that uh, the uh, like Diablo and Borderlands and Path of Exile kind of are on the other side of that uh, kind of divide, right? Where it's less about kind of uh, the art side, it's less about the expression side. It's more about just kind of like getting better at the performative aspects of it. And uh, you know, I, I, I guess it's two interesting sides of the same coin to the same type of thing. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, I feel like that makes it come down somewhere in the middle of yeah that like somewhere in the middle of the two i guess um so yeah yeah no because like you know the you know the legends of the amount of times you run uh you run what is what is that icc to get the to get uh the the mount the the horse Yeah, Yeah, yeah 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 um that you know, no one's doing that because they want you know because the horse will make them better at horsing, right? They, they do it because it's like a it's a thing that you can show off. Which yeah, mm, I don't know. Is is that like it, it, in a way it's its own Skinner box? Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. W- like like Arthas is the box, um, and you know they like people who do the who do the invincible runs over and over and over again are the people like pushing the button but the thing that they're they're not pushing the button for the performance enhancement right they're pushing the button for the expression um, yeah. so i think that there are both kinds of right like the mythic raider who is pushing the button of mythic as shara in order to get as geared as possible or something kind of along those lines um is is doing it for sport and the invincible person is theoretically like doing it for art um so yeah, yeah i don't know yeah no there's there's uh there's a paper um that i could probably find that i read about it actually on the angry gm site but it's about um uh it's about uh video games oh i actually have it on my desktop it's called mda a formal approach to game design and game research and it talks about like i think it's like the six types of fun it's the eight types of fun um and i can i can read them out here um but it's like sensation fantasy narrative challenge fellowship discovery expression and submission and all these kind of fall generally into the submission kind of category which is you know it's grinding basically right um and uh like what we're talking about with the with the horses and whatnot and the the mounts is games as expression games as self-discovery games it's like showing off who you are um and uh and the sport i guess is is games these games as challenge that would make the most sense um uh whereas art is probably games as narrative or games as discovery something like that does that yeah, does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, this, and I think that there there are pieces of this in everything, right? Like, and and you can inter- interact with the same game in different ways, right? Like, 
I, as an RPer in World of Warcraft, I interact with patch notes in a different way than a Mythic Raider does because he is looking at it from a performance standpoint and I am looking at it from like a narrative standpoint, right? Like I want to know what comes next in the war campaign. He wants to know what the best loot is that drops off the new dungeon or whatever. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah, and he wants to know um, how his rotations are affected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, that kind of a thing, right? It's the same thing in League of Legends, right? Like, we talk about this with some of our League friends um, from time to time, but, like, we have certain friends who are very motivated by achieving rank in solo queue, but also friends who are motivated by different beliefs in how to play, like, how to play the game and what, what appeals to them about the game, right? Like, I'm a lot more interested in farming mastery points and getting the the mastery seven badges on the champions that i like a lot than i am at getting diamond right but other friends of ours are more motivated by getting diamond and if they happen to hit mastery seven along the way that's just dandy do you know what i mean yeah or or like perhaps you know getting getting diamond with a hero that you like is more important to you than than just getting it in general which mm-hmm. I think kind of falls into the same thing. And, and we've talked about this before, right? Like part of my 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 joy is like um getting you know, getting wins with like less typical builds, right? Like which I think is the express re- express uh, expression rather type of uh yeah. angle on it than uh uh than than otherwise. Um and I, I think I think that that's all, all kind of valid. Um and I think, like, you see this, this roll into these games, too, right? Like, um, uh, just to kind of, like, give you an example, I, like I say, started playing uh, PoE, but I, w- I was kind of, I'm kind of being shepherded by a friend of the cast, JB. And JB's a longtime player, and, uh, you know, Path of Exile is enormously complicated. I believe I had you look at the passive tree once while we were on the cast, and it's just, oh like, my God. Yeah, near uncomprehensible. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, getting into it is, of course, a little bit daunting, but, like, you know, the, the JB's, like, you, you know, you, you, you gotta, like, you, you should have a build plan coming in if you want to be, like, very successful. And, you know, that, that's, like, that, like, kills half the fun for me, right? Like, you know, p- part of this for me is, like, finding something stupid and doing it, right? So I, I just kind of was, like, you know, I, I guess I'm committed to kind of bumbling through this first run. And he's, like, you know what, that's fine, as long as you're comfortable with the fact that, you, you know, when you might not be you know, the most effective character in the end game, that's a perfectly legitimate way to enjoy the game. And I think that's, that's super interesting. Um, you know, cause I, I think that like sometimes those types of things tend to get lost in, uh, kind of like discussions about like what's most optimal, right? Like, um, you know, like, uh, in terms of like, you know, say like wow talents, right? Like there's always this set of wow talents. It's like the best to do and people get mad at you or I mean, it's not tr- as true anymore. Right? This has, this has been a, uh, real debate in like the kind of classic kind of community. There are a lot of people out there who say, I want talents back in retail and, and it's, and it's kind of a tough thing because like the arguments for why talents were removed we're actually pretty good and make a lot of sense. And, we ta- and we've talked about this sort of thing on the cast where it's like there weren't real choices. You just look them up on fucking, you know, somebody does the, the thing for you, right? But there is also that, like, weird desire to be the person making the choices right. even if they are false ones. Yeah. Yeah, no, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, even if, yeah, even if you're just pretending that you're making that choice. Um, 
But I, w- I would say that, like, at least for my most recent memories of retail, while that it was actually better at letting you make a real choice, right? Because, like, the options were, like, mostly balanced against each other. Yeah, so um, in retail, what they did is they replaced the talent tree where you every level you get a point and you put that point in something like plus 1% crit. Um, and you replace that with a talent tree that says, here are every couple of levels, right? There are... Uh, one, two, or there are three choices and you get to pick one, right? Like every 15 levels or something like that. And those choices are balanced against one another pretty accurately. So, you know, there is, you know, hypothetically speaking, if you wanted to go to Icy Veins or whatever and learn for the very best to build, you could make one um, that is like all calculations. Like WoW is kind of sort of a solved game in certain senses of the word, because like you can put the numbers into a machine and the machine will say, this is the best DPS. But like the reality is in the chaos of any high end raid encounter, right? Like where you're moving and you're doing mechanics and all this other kind of stuff that creates more than enough wiggle room that like, listen, if this, if this talent Sims 5% worse, well, that 5% is going to be covered just by the random chaos of a, a fight encounter. And you should feel fine about taking it if you want. Because, honestly, you'll probably be doing the same amount of DPS anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely do. Like, I, I think we, you know, we, we've had this discussion, right? Like, how much... Like we we've had a discussion in law, right? Like how much how much difference does you know, or like what what difference do, does like meta choices make at our elo, um, and even team composition choices? And you know, there's I think discussion to be had there, but like that's I think that's a, that's a real thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I've got anything to add to that. Um, Fair enough. Do, do you do you have a lot of uh, either like besides WoW, which which we've you know we we know you play a ton of do you, do you have a lot of experience with and or desire to play these these kind of loot pinata games i've played a lot of diablo in my time uh you know like i don't know what my slash played would be in diablo um but obviously uh i even kind of like you know i missed the early troubles with diablo 3 um like i got it but uh but i didn't end up playing it for maybe like six months or something like that um until after it had came out and some of like the early you know like the error 37 obviously was all solved by then but also that apparently there was a bunch of like jank i guess the auction house was still in um but anyway so yeah so i played uh so i played a bunch of diablo 3 and then i really liked it when they upgraded to reaper of souls um because it became a it became a good game that I could play in the in the sort of vein that I play WoW now, where it is just kind of like, oh, I'm listening to fucking podcasts, right? Like, let's just like chew through some some content, um, chew, th- chew through some content in Diablo. What always I find motivates me about these games, though, is almost never the loot patterns. Um, and it's almost always kind of like the tactics patterns. Um which is to say, like, you know, uh, like, for instance, when, when we were when we were talking about Destiny 2, which is also kind of a loot pinata-ish game in this sort of sense, um, something that I talked about was how, like, in Payday, which was the other big first-person shooter, it was a very, like, objective-focused game where you were moving through with a team, and the team had different roles, and you had to kind of, like, 
you had to move through each individual 20, 30 minute, you know, like run according to, uh, like, and, and like responding to, um, like according to a plan, but like responding to a lot of kind of random stimulus, right? Like somebody gets downed by a cloaker and you know you need to go pick them up. Somebody gets captured by the cops and so you need to like wait out uh, a man down or something until he comes back before you like ship your money to the to the van or whatever. Just like th- things kind of things kind of along those sorts of lines. Um, and I find that in my like in my loot pinata games, I need something along those lines in order to keep me interested or I just sort of like fall off if that makes sense wow interestingly kind of skips this problem because it has I find like very good long-term goal uh creation right like and maybe part of this is just like the skinner boxes are are like there was a while where I was farming for I was farming the lich king for invincible which is just like 45 minutes, you know, and you go and you run through all of Ice Crown Citadel, then you kill the Lich King, and maybe he drops it, maybe he doesn't, kind of thing, right? Um, But also things like this weekend, I spent basically the entire weekend getting my crafting on an alt, uh, my enchanting, from, like, 85 points to 160 points, right? And that is a goal that took hours and hours and hours to accomplish and there was a lot of like grinding and you know like loop pinata sort of stuff on the way because i need to get all these these items to disenchant them to get the mats to craft the enchantments that are going to level me up all this other kind of stuff right but like it's always in service of like a bigger tangible goal um which is something that i always felt was a little bit lacking in uh in like diablo outside of just like the grind do you know what yeah. i mean yeah I feel like it, it puts, like, a number of kind of, like, uh, indirections, I guess I'm going to call it, in between, you know, the fact that you, you're you ultimately pursuing, like, a bigger number somewhere, right? Like, ultimately, it's, you know, I assume you're getting your enchanter up that way. You can enchant things so that, like, your main can do raids better or something along those lines, Yeah, right? yeah. Like, I've, I've been using outdated enchantments on my main, but we're about to move into heroic-level content. And, you know, I should get that, you know, like, I should get that fixed. Also, it makes money, so... Yeah, right. But like, the reason but even like money, gold, right? Like, yeah. gold has nothing to do with like performance on like the top end raid, right? My 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 long term gold goal, hypothetically, is to get the Brutusorb mount, which is five million gold, and it's like that's that's a completely expressive sort of thing, or right, like or like Warfronts, which like sometimes I just fall into these. Uh, like, I fall into these traps where I go and I do a warfront and then I do a warfront and then do a warfront on, like, each of my different alts because I just get addicted to getting the transmog, right? So, like, yeah. th- at the same time that there are performance goals that I'm working for, there are also, like, expression goals that I'm working for. I, I think I think collections is, like, a super strong kind of motivator here. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not always sure exactly what it is, but, like, Diablo, I think, kind of got better when it introduced the uh, Kunai's Cube, which... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let you pull the uh, kind of the, the legendary mods off of legendary pieces of armor and weapons um, and let you kind of apply one for free to yourself, right? And it's like, well, I don't need these, but I can always collect more of them. And in order to collect them, I have to kind of get the mats to pull them off of them. So, you know, I've got like all these weapons that I need to pull off. I'm never going to use them, but I need I need to complete the collection, buddy. I need to complete the collection. Um, and I think, you know, the more I play with Path of Exile, the more masterful like path of exile is like this but with like an entire studio's weight put behind it because it's the only thing to do forever right um 
And there's just so many systems in that game that are kind of like based up around that. You know, part of it's collections, part of it's maximizing your current build, right? Like the, the most recent thing they released um, is basically a mini power, tower defense game that pops up in the middle of maps. Like all, all these mechanics pop up in the middle of whatever you're currently doing. There's an NPC and they'll do something, right? Um, this case is a tower defense. And these tower defense things not only drop normal loop, but they drop oils occasionally. And the oils you can use the NPC to put on uh, your rings to make you better at the tower defense game. But if you put it on your amulet, you get a free, like depending on the combination you have, you get a free passive on the passive tree. And that like opens up so much stuff, right? Because you could get a passive that's all the way across the tree from where you were. Um, and so you, know, you got to farm out your oils, buddy. You got to farm out your oils so you get the, uh, the, the, the rare passive because it's hard to get some of the oils in the right combination, right? Like the, <laughs> the easy ones are all just like basic stat bonuses, buddy. But you need more, you need more stuff, buddy. You need to just keep... Playing the game, buddy, until you have enough <laughs> things. <laughs> to, to, until, you, until you have the most numbers. And, you know, honestly, I think the leagues thing was one of the, the smartest things that, um, you know, any, like, the, the for the genre, right? Like, it's like, everybody's back at level zero now, right? Like, you know, anybody who hadn't been in it yet gets the chance to kind of compete with everybody else, right? Like, you don't have to worry about being 10,000 hours behind the guy who's, you know, been, been playing it forever, um, and then the guy who left 10,000 hours in is like, oh boy, I've got an excuse to start this entire kind of wheel again, right? Like, um, uh, like JB was telling me that, like, so the, the way that armor works and, like, skills work in this game is that your armor has sockets in it. And in those sockets go the gems which hold your actual skills on it, right? You don't have anything inherent to your character. Um, and some of these skills, they don't do anything on their own, but they, they, they support other skills. They make them better, right? But they only work if they're linked, um, like if the piece of armor has like a little line connecting them, right? Um, and the number of socket, and the, there's three colors to them. So the number of sockets, the colors of those sockets, and how they are how they are linked together are all randomized on every piece of thing you get in this game, right? And there are pieces of currency that let you re-roll all of those things, like forever, and including the, like, and then there's, that's not even talking about like the inherent stats that are on the item, right? These are just the things for the uh, for the items. He was telling me that, like, it takes an average of, like, 1,500 rolls to get, like, the right, like, alignment for these things. And it's like, that's, like, you could just keep going, right? You could just keep doing stuff to get those rolls, to get more rolls. It's it's, it's, it's freaking nuts. Um, I, I really think that's kind of, like, the apex of this, of this, like, loot pinata stuff, right? Like, you, you, not only do you keep getting new gear to roll, but it's like gives you just enough control that it doesn't feel totally random, right? You don't have to keep hoping that your, you know, your specific piece of gear that you want drops, right? You can get it, and then you can keep kind of tinkering with it, right? Um, there's even like a piece of currency that lets you take the current configuration for the item and store it, and then you can keep rolling on it. That way, if you ever want to revert back to that old one, you, you know, you you haven't you haven't totally screwed yourself over. You can revert back to that old configuration. And it's just like Jesus fucking Christ! How much? How much of this? Like, how, how much can you do? And, and Path of Exile is just like this wonderful study in how far you can push all of this stuff because it's the only thing that grinding gear games does, right? Uh, is it, it, it completely continually improves on this game and makes more mechanics for you to like kind of bash your head against? It's 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 it's, it's amazing and insane. Um, if you're the type of person that just wants to fall down that rabbit hole, you can. Uh, 
but you know, enough of me just kind of like ranting about. Well, so something else that I find a little bit interesting about that sort of thinking, and this this happens in uh, like this has been happening for me when it comes to um, classic, is there's this weird tension also between like the the economy that surrounds the item upgrades, right? So like, so for instance, I mean, like. I did one run through of the dead mines where we killed Van Cleef. Um, and to be honest, I just kind of did it to, to, to help out some friends, but like I got a, I got like the two handed ax that an arms warrior wants out of like that dungeon or whatever. Um, and then a little bit later, somebody was like, Hey, can you come tank Van Cleef? And I was sitting there and I was just kind of like, well, I already have the ax. Why would I go back? And there's a couple of other things that I could get in there, but it's like the most important thing, right? The thing that I'm going to keep, you know, I got that ax at level 18. I'm level 22 now and I still have it. Um, and I've a couple of other things that like would have been upgrades. I have kind of like gone by the wayside. Um, but I'm just kind of like, Hey, you know, like, no, thanks. I don't, I don't really like sort of need it. So there's this whole sort of like, it's almost like an economy of decision making that goes into the uh, the way in which stuff is is like acquired. Like, what are you willing to put your time and attention into? Right. Like, and and this happens. You know, this also happens in WoW when it's like I am le- I level four fifteen on everything. I am moving out of normal and going into heroic. Right. Or. You know, I, there's nothing that I can get that would be an upgrade out of the Warfront, so why would I run the Warfront anymore sort of thing? Yeah. Um, so, like, that's a whole other aspect of it. And, and to be honest, leveling is when it is most, like, keenly felt, right? Like, something that I've been doing recently is I got these plans. Did I talk about this in the cast? I got these plans for, like, silvered bronze shoulders as a blacksmith, right? And the plans are a drop. It's not part of, like, the basic trainer or whatever. And I paid about, a like, a buck 25, like, a gold 25 silver to, um, to get that. Uh, to get that set of plans. And ever since then, I have been spending a ton of time running around, uh, like, the Barrens, because it's the easiest place to farm for tin to make bronze, to make silvered bronze shoulders, and sell them on the auction house, and they sell, like, hotcakes. And the reason is, is because it is the very first green shoulder that paladins and warriors can equip, right? Um... The, the the all of the other shoulders at that around that level are going to be white quality or like gray quality or whatever um and these ones are going to actually have like plus stam plus you know strength or uh which are like good strong stats but then there are also things that like i have sold on the auction house for a pittance because you know it's you're just kind of like oh well i need to make 20 bracers in order to get the next 20 levels in in blacksmithing or whatever and you know you kind of sell that off but that's a real decision for folks because it's like well bracers i can get all the time why would i spend 10 gold on bracers on the auction house when i can just like do the next set of quests and eventually i'll find you know like i'll find an upgrade kind of somewhere for me um and so like those economic questions that kind of surround the loot dynamics i also think are really interesting because those questions are what funnel players into and out of content right um i am not doing the dead mines because i have 
gotten away, I have I have leveled out of its rewards at this point, right? Um, and I am you know interested in doing the stockades because it does start to have like the rewards that I'm that I'm kind of like looking for. So there's like I don't know I don't really know if there's a more complete thought there besides just like, well I, I think it's interesting because if if you look at this like in terms of retail right like you could see how retail built in more mechanics to keep more of this content relevant for longer that way you could you would want to go back right like mog right is is probably the easiest right. example right like you you have no need for like under level dead mines equipment but you might want the way that some of it looks right and if you're a completionist you want to just to, you know tick off the box on your on your uh, on your sheet um and on top of that you've got what a, what what other things here like you know anytime you've got like a cosmetic drop um anytime like uh or or like um like with raid finder right like uh it drops those raid finder drops those runes that help you with specific bosses right like that that's a, still a thing uh, what do you mean? Sorry, like a, is, don't doesn't Raid Finder drop like a like a like a, a consumable that boosts your? Oh stats yes, yes, yes. Fights? They're called um, fuck. What are they called? Tryhard runes. They're tryhard runes. That's not what they're actually called. <laughs> but that's what yeah. we call them. Because yeah, it is specifically there to balance out the economy, right? Like it is a consumable that's really valuable for high end raiders, uh, because like it, you know. It gives them a ton of power, but it only really drops in Raid Finder. You can also get it on, uh, like, the missions on the ship or whatever. Um, so, hypothetically speaking, right, like, there is a... I guess there's a version of things where you uh, you are farming Raid Finder, Finder to get those runes to sell them for gold so that you can buy, you like, better items or anything. Like, all of that kind of stuff, for sure. Not only that, but it also incentivizes those, you know... You know, mythic raiders probably aren't usually going into into raid finder, but now they've got a reason to go into raid finder to get those runes instead of just you know like waving. Yeah, like DPS if you sticks. are a mythic raider, right? Like if, if if you are a mythic raider, you have and and are broke, you have an incentive to go do raid finder, right? Or if you know you you know if you're a mythic raider and you have nothing better to do with your time instead of spending your gold, you could you could go do that, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and I think I think that's also part of the uh, the 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 design choice behind Titan forging and whatnot, right? Like you know, that there. And I think this gets into like a real bad Skinner box territory because it's like you're spending a disproportionate amount of time for the chance that you get something that is rolled really high, um, and like that's like the extreme edge case. And, and, and how, how do you feel about about Titan forging, buddy? Uh, I like Titan Forging and Legion. They nerfed it in BFA, which I actually think was kind of a mistake. The power of Titan Forging is um, it incentivizes you to help out your your buds, right? Somebody has an alt and they want to run whatever. Like, yeah, okay, well now you have no matter what you have the ability to get a uh, to get an upgrade there, right? So it is not probabilistically a waste of your time there is at least a 0.01 percent chance right that it's not you know that you that you will become more powerful or whatever the kind of chances uh but people really got angry about it um in the same sort of way they got mad at or what are called welfare epics um like that's what people used to call it in um uh in like classic in like bc which is when like the game kind of like hands out epic quality gear when epics used to be something that you really had to like you know try hard in order to come across um and it's like yes a like 
a raid finder player who's really casual and only ever does raid finder could get a best in slot titan forged trinket or something like that that's like i level like gabillion right uh, but the likelihood that that is going to happen is so astronomically low that people saying Titan Forge bad because of this are just not taking into account the scale, right? Like they're kind of getting mad about like the hypothetical rather than like the practical, which is the problem in my eyes. But I, yeah, it definitely does sort of, uh, uh, it definitely does sort of like hit that problem in a way. Yeah, uh, I wonder if some of this is just kind of like. You know, there's 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 a saying that like people are good at telling you what they like, but they're really bad at telling you why they like it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if part of this is is kind of like people are saying like they perceive that that's the problem with it, but what they really don't like is feeling obligated to run raid finder every week when it's like such a minuscule chance, but they kind of feel like they need to do it in order to maybe get an upgrade. Um, uh, yeah, like, and that's the really interesting thing because, like, that where those lines come across is like really tough. Like, for instance, something that happened in Mists of Pandaria is there used to be a cap on the number of daily quests you could do. It was like twenty five, right? Um, and people would have to budget it out, right? It's like, oh, well, there are twelve daily quests for the Argent Crusade and a couple for this person, a couple for that person, and these are the only daily quests that I can do today, and. I can't do sort of like any others. And that quest cap was put in there so that you didn't feel like the obligation to run everything. And then WoW said, you know what? Like, players are responsible for their own time. If they want to run everything, fucking feel free. So in Mr. Pandaria, they got rid of the quest cap. And all of a sudden, people were bitching uh, about the... um, the the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I need to do all of my dailies for all of the factions every single day. And if I'm not, I'm failing, right? And it's like, okay, well, now we move into a position where we are currently at Legion and World Quests get debuted. And they put in literally hundreds of essentially daily quests. But nobody's out there saying like, oh, World Quests are the worst because... I have to complete all of them every day, right? And it's like, what is the real difference between, like, the dailies in Mists and the dailies in Wrath and the world quests that have come out that changed people's perception of them so drastically? Do you know what I mean? And I'm sure, like, the answer, like, we could analytically find the answer, right? Like, if I had to wager a guess, the answer is probably, like, the emissary system packs so much of the quest reward into those four that you do that it like it just devalues each of the individual quests after that so maybe if you're really hunting or farming or something right like you'll just sit there and complete every quest in a zone because you're really trying to get your rep up or something like that or like you're really close to a break point in artifact power so you're just clearing every single one of the artifact power quests on the on the map um but like there is no longer that incentive to do absolutely everything and for some reason in mists because the daily quests were daily and you definitionally missed out on a set of quests and someone could get in like someone could get ahead of you i guess i would say um by doing the daily quests every single day uh that that person would be ahead of you is so frustrating that like you refuse to engage right and you just have to like you have to beat this like a hypothetical figure it's like that kind of thinking right yeah no i think i I think it's interesting because i think you could also probably break this down on like like 
with Pandaria, right? Like the only thing you were ever building towards was getting uh, revered with with the faction, right? Whereas with the emissary system, it's got a looping reward after it. So Blizzard's kind of incentive on limiting the Pandaria thing is like once you burn out of it, you've got nothing left to do really. Um, but with the emissaries, once you get yourself to max, you can still loop. Um, you can still loop for emissary thing, but that's not nearly as much of a driving factor, right? So, huh? That's really interesting. So, so this, this, I, this is something I actually read about today. Uh, um, just kind of in this thought about uh, incentives. Apparently in EverQuest 2, the players were really complaining that like the monsters weren't giving enough XP, right? And the developers were like, well, what are you talking about? You're supposed to be questing. You're supposed to be grinding monsters, right? EverQuest 1 was about grinding monsters, but EverQuest 2 is not so much. And what they discovered was that in the spreadsheet where they set up the values for XP for everything, that they had like made the value for XP for monsters much higher than was intended, right? And so this kind of water finds a crack way it drove players to um, farm monsters, but that was, like, very unsatisfying because it was very kind of boring. So instead of, like, increasing the value for XP like the players wanted them to do, they cut it. And so and they cut it massively, which drove players to quest and made the game a lot more fun. So it, it is really interesting how, how, how all these incentives kind of stack up with each other. I mean, like, the, the classic version is, of course, um, you know, how, how rest in WoW was originally exhaustion, right? Like... But by by flipping the switch from from like a penalty to a to a bonus, you, you kind of like erase all of like the negative psychology around it. It's yeah, it's, it, it, it's I don't know. I find that stuff really fascinating. No, I absolutely do. Uh, I absolutely do as well. And it's funny to see this kind of stuff like in action in class, like as you are playing through uh, classic, um, because like there are times in classic when you just run out of quests. And you're just like, well, I guess I'm going to go fucking, like, grind boars. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, and you know, not that grinding boars is good or bad. It is kind of what it is. Uh, but it is sort of like the way that the game is, like, that the game is kind of, like, built and um, incentivized. And I feel like now we have a much better control over a lot of those sorts of, right, like, incentives, right? Like, I've done a lot more grinding in... Uh, even though I spent the whole weekend raising my enchanting cap, uh, from in for in retail from whatever it was to like in into Nazjatar, which is what I'm looking for, because Nazjatar is when you get like the better quality kind of enchantments or whatever, right? Like, I still probably spent less time overall doing that than I did leveling the first 150 points of Tonric's blacksmithing, because blacksmithing in classic requires you to run around and get copper nodes for in in Elwyn Forest, right? And you know. Part of that grind is just satisfying. It's just fun to be, like, running around, finding a node, mine it. You do your loops, right? I did that in BFA just as much as I did in, like, in Classic. But, like, they definitely made the systems much more, um, not forgiving, but uh, much more efficient, I guess, for you as a, as a player to go, uh, to go do this farming. And that reflects in the time spent. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Um, I think that this is, hmm, how do I want to, this is interesting um, because it seems to me like this is kind of far afield, but that a lot of these convenience features, right, have like really increased the kind of various modes of, uh, of, of kind of enjoyment in the game. But I think it's come at the cost of, 
uh, fellowship in some way. Or, you know, I don't think it's as severe as people make it out to be, but that, that's kind of the, the the complaint, right? Fellowship being like game as a social framework joy point. It's it's number five in in the paper, um, uh, and I think it's I think that that's kind of what classic is trying to recapture right? is is the fellowship aspect, which is really interesting because one, one would assume that like that fellowship thing is kind of the it's kind of part of the reason why you play an MMO in the first place, right? Because there's like a thousand other, a billion other people around you. Um, uh, that's 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 really fascinating, right? Like, no, I, yeah, I mean, this is a bit of the point that I was making last week uh, when I was talking about how like the different things that Blizzard has done, where each individual one of them. I would say is the correct decision from a game design point of view, right? But it has the sort of unfortunate side effect um, of decreasing the value of community, right? Like, there is less reason to band together when X, Y, and Z are all in the game. And those are all individually, like, good decisions, right? It is better for tagging mobs to for it is better for me to be able to tag a mob and share it with someone and not lose out on that mob even if i do 90 percent of its health because somebody hit it first right it is better for the game right that like a a, a, a system exists to funnel people into efficiently finding groups for stuff right they name their group what they're looking for and you can go you sign up they click yes and you you automatically right like join the group and and all of the and all of the other sorts of changes along those sorts of lines right but like also at a certain point that has created this situation where the need to band together with other adventurers and kind of like organically find your way into helping with them has kind of like gone away. So there is this, you know, so there is this sort of like lack of community um, in retail compared to classic. I will say the more time I have spent between the two, the more and more I'm kind of convinced it's just a classic is just an MMO launch and we don't think of it in those terms, even though it probably should be thought of in those terms, right? Like part of what makes the community easy to find in classic is that there are so many people playing all the time. Uh, and that is a function of it being an MMO launch when there are so many people playing all the time. Um, but even o over the course of, you know, two or three weeks, uh, people have definitely been falling off. And all of a sudden, it seems like a little bit harder to find a group, a little bit harder to, like, team up with people, right? Like, when I was originally questing through Elwyn and Westfall, it was extremely easy to get into a group of five people who were doing the same quests you were doing. Now it's like you and one other guy are, like, farming the same mob, so you'll, you'll invite the other guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So um, I definitely do think, you know, like, I don't want to undersell the, the, the overall point, which is that Classic definitely does have a real advantage in community because the game is, like, less forgiving in terms of uh, certain of its individual mechanics. But uh, there's a pretty big bubble that has been deflating also, which is just surrounding the launch of a new MMO. Okay. Yeah, no, no, that 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 absolutely that absolutely makes sense. Um, Though I will also say, I mean, on the subject of WoW Classic, it is still the top of Twitch. It has been the top of Twitch since it came out, right, like two weeks ago, which is kind of nuts. Yeah, I, I, I've all like I, I I wonder how much of this is like it was a game that streams well but doesn't necessarily like 
play as much, right? Like, yeah. Um, I also think that, like, I think that part of the strategy there is maybe like, uh, you know, you get everybody who is like, I want to play classic to go come back to play classic for a month, right? And they're like, ah, oh, this isn't as good as I remember it. It's like, well, I've got the month. Maybe I'll try out retail, and they discover they actually like retail, and they just like convert regular subscribers off of that. Like b- bundling it with retail, I think is is was was a genius move. But that's like a that's 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 a that's a business decision thing more than it is like a gameplay thing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but um, they kind of wind it back to where we started this, right? Like, um, how much do you, like? How how much how important do you think that story is for some of these things, right? Because like, I think it's more important for say WoW than it is for Borderlands. But I don't know. Like, would you keep playing World of Warcraft if the story was bad, or like, <laughs> how bad is the story, buddy? I mean, how, that's how, not, like, it is like a guitar. Some people would say that the story is very bad right now. Yeah, I have yeah. always maintained that that's overblown, right? Like, which is not, by the way, to say that they are incorrect in their individual assessments. The things that people tend to criticize about the WoW storyline are more like in in Battle for Azeroth specifically are more or less on point. Um, but they are things that are being criticized sort of outside of uh, the. There are things that are being criticized outside of the context of the full approach to story, right? Like, all of the stuff that you do questing through Zandalar and then doing the Zandalar Forever stuff and then battle for Dazara lore ending in Rastakhan being killed, right? And chasing Jaina, right? Across into, like, the ocean. All of that stuff is really, like, great and really strong. Yeah, it was incredibly bungled the way that the expansion began with, like, Sylvanas torching Tildrassel for really kind of no reason and... You know, any other sort of like of these these uh, little individual things, but I think that the I think that the downsides are far outweighed by the upsides, if that makes sense. Um, and I do think that the WoW writers are good. In fact, we'll talk about this a little bit in the back half because uh, well, we'll get there. But um, I do think that the WoW WoW writers are overall good writers. But I am. I would be really interested to see what WoW would look like, uh, where I would be like, "Yep, this is this is this is not good." You know what it is? Um, like, so for instance, I've talked before about like Sylvanas's stuff. One of the things about Sylvanas is the Garrosh 2.0 argument, right? Like, we're just doing the Garrosh storyline over again. I have been holding out a certain amount of hope in the same way that I did for Game of Thrones, right? Um, Which might be ominous. Who knows if I'm I'm making like a shitty thing. Where they are not doing Garrosh 2.0, there is something more complex and more interesting going on with Sylvanas um, than just she wants to kill all of the Alliance and is working on killing all of the Alliance. And that's that. Um, And a world in which... I'm proven wrong, that would really suck and I would be really disappointed, right? Like, if the end boss of Battle for Azeroth is just Sylvanish and it's the Siege of, well, it can't be the Siege of Undercity, it's the Siege of Orgrimmar, too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that would just fucking suck. And I really hope that that's not the case. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, absolutely. But would, would that be enough to, like, get you to fall off the treadmill? And how much, how much, so... How much of this are you on the treadmill, like, for? Like, like if you wanted to give, like, you know, rough it out, like, how much are you 
on it for like the the treadmill how much are you on it for like the community with your with your i mean definitely a part of it is the community and the rp guild right like the rp guild softens a lot of this stuff because in a certain sense i am my own writer on on world of warcraft right like part of the story of world of warcraft is a story that i am literally tailoring and that other people are literally tailoring for me um and so that has a definitely that has a big uh effect on it um but yeah there's definitely just like the treadmill the treadmill is its own reward um, and I wouldn't want to underplay that, um, specifically in the context of like, I still find joy playing the, like, you know, like, like, like maxing my enchanting over an entire weekend where all I do is, you know, go and then I craft a bunch of greens and then I disenchant those greens to get dust. And then I craft a bunch of epics, but that takes a lot of materials. So I got to consolidate all of my materials after all, off all of my different alts and maybe pick up a couple of things on the auction house and then disenchant those in order to get the crystals. And then you crack the crystals in order to get the other, you know, like all of this, like that's purely game that has nothing to do with the story at that point. Uh, but it's still like engaging enough. What typically happens with me in world of Warcraft is I find myself in a, like in a and it's almost like it's almost like a uh, like a, it's like pulling a rubber band and you can feel it about to snap and that's the kind of place where I step away from the game. If I ever start getting those creeping thoughts that are just like you're just pressing buttons to press more buttons to press more buttons like that is when uh, I find myself uh, like taking a step back away from the game and being like okay like let's you know let's like take take our foot off the gas. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I, I've talked about, like, I, I take my foot off the gas with WoW a lot easier than you do, but I'm also not as deep into the, the RP part, so it's a little bit harder for me there. Um, I also like to play a bunch of different games, so, like, context switching is a little bit more desirable for me. Yeah. But, like, for, for, like, a more classic version of this, right, with Diablo, I always kind of hit the point where, like, the returns on the mechanics are just not high enough for me to care anymore. Um, and you know, different things that they've done have helped us. Some of them has made it worse, actually. Like the uh, the season sets actually made made me hit that point much quicker because I hit like that power boost from the from getting the set, and I just never want to like you know. And then after that, I was like, well, what am I doing? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not getting gains enough for this, so it's it's not interesting anymore. Um, but I think I think it's interesting that it's kind of like that that uh, that cadence to it. Um, that you keep kind of just like rolling over and over and over again. Uh, but uh, I don't know if, if I've got anything deeper to say about that. I mean, I, I guess the, the important part of this is just to kind of answer my own question I asked you is that like, um, you know, as I said at the beginning of the episode, I don't really care so much about the story. I'm much more about the gameplay. And the story is interesting to me, but like with WoW, I feel like I can get enough of the story out of like watching cutscenes on YouTube. Um, if I really want to, and I don't want to spend $15 a month, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, um, I feel that. Uh, the uh, other there... thing, the other thing is, uh, about finding like the right kind of community to do the right kind of like content, right? Like for instance, like mythic plus it, part of it is just like timing, right? Like I actually, I really love mythic plus and I really want to do more mythic plus. Um, but it's just hard to find like like the time, right? Like sitting there with my friends, pushing keys, all that stuff feels really great. Um, and it's really, uh, you know, like 
fun. And when people are like, hey, we need a tank for M+. Like, I sure, I kind of, like, get on. But I also don't have that same kind of, like, impetus to ever be like, hey, guys, I want to do Mythic Plus today. Is anybody sort of, like, around? And that's, like, purely – that has nothing to do with WoW. It's, like, purely a social thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that compares kind of, like, to, like, climbing the, the ladder in, 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 uh, in League, right? For me, especially, I don't like playing – I don't like playing most League without enough other people. But, like – I do, like, I won't play solo or duo queue, really. Like, occasionally somebody will convince me to, but I will play, like, flex queue all the time. Um, I think there's, there's there's definitely that social aspect to it that makes it compelling. Um, I think that's also true for, like, these these looter games, like, like these more traditional looter games, right? Like, I bet you anything. Um, I think I might be the only one among our friend group that's getting Borderlands 3. Um, and I bet you I will fall off of it relatively quickly because I've got no one to play with. If I had more people oh, to man, play with, it makes I... me want to play Borderlands Three. Are you getting it for uh, PC? Yes, of course. Um, hmm. um, <laughs> uh, so you know, I, I need to do that. I, I, I should really do this. Um, I have stock and take two interactive, and so oh, right. that was like <laughs> <laughs> that was like that was actually the um, the kind of like dividing point for me, or like the, the choosing point as to whether or not I was going to get this game, just because of all the controversy that surrounded the game. Um, but the thing that ultimately justified it for me was like, well, I'm eventually going to see some fraction of this, so I guess I'll just get it, right? Like, that's how I justified it to myself. Um, uh, but, you know, it's uh, – it, it'll we'll, – we'll, we'll see, right? Like, I don't know. Don't don't go out and buy it on my accord, but um, it'll be it, – I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let the chat know if it's, if it's any good. <laughs> um, I'll let you guys at home know if it's any good next week on some derps talk about games. Uh, I'm doing a thumbs up, which no no one can no one can see because we don't have cameras. But nice, nice. Um, well, well, that's a good segue into yeah. uh, into uh, I guess our weeks. Yeah, our uh, our weeks. Um, uh, so how was your week, buddy? Uh, how was my week? Well, so there's a couple of things I want to talk about. Uh, what is the first thing I want to talk about? So did I talk about the the new Total War DLC? Uh, no, you haven't. One? We've just okay. We've only so talked about new Total War DLC is coming out. Total War Warhammer 2, I think, is the best game that is out right now. Hot hot take? Is that a hot take? It's been my best game for two years running, I think, in the derpies. Um, the, uh, the new DLC is a Lord pack, and the two Lords that they are bringing out are Marcus Wolfhart, who is a, an, uh, an Empire hunter, and Nakai the Wanderer, who is a giant ancient Croxador, Croxagore, which are like... Like like crocodile guys um, of the first spawning. Um, now the sort of headline here is that this is the first time that Total War has dipped into the uh, Warhammer One factions to bring forward into Warhammer Two content. Right. Um, so uh, Marcus Wolfhart is an Imperial hunter. He is in the lore dispatched by. Uh, Carl Franz to go into the heart of Lustria and, you know, like bring back riches and treasures, do nice colonialism. It's, it's great. Um, and over the course of his campaign, right? Like you are his, his campaign is all about like accruing prestige by like winning battles and like earning accolades. And then he gets these supply drops from the empire. So his whole thing is kind of like, it's like you're founding Jamestown, 
in a certain in certain in a certain sort of sense like you're very dependent on those empire supply drops in order to get your uh in order to get your uh your armies and your civilization sort of like up and running but out after a certain amount of time you get a certain amount of animosity um or I'm sorry, after a certain amount of time, you get a certain amount of power and you kind of can like become sort of like self-sufficient. Um, but the more self-sufficient you get, the more your uh, hostility rating increases, which is something that like starts at zero. But like as you are running around winning battles and taking territory for the Empire to earn your accolades, you are also pissing off everybody around you. So you basically can't do diplomacy with like anybody in the jungles of Lustria because they all hate you for like the constant sort of like expansionism um and i think that that is just like a really awesome and fun sort of like pitch for a campaign right like it is the um it's just like it's a completely different way to play uh total war warhammer 2 and this is what i love so much about like these like lord packs and why i think like the dlc is so good for the game because like they will almost always be, you know, like introducing new mechanics that like really make you think about the game kind of like differently, if that makes sense. Accompanied by this is a full rework of the Empire Faction itself. Now, funnily enough, even though the Empire Faction has not been updated since like 2017, when, you know, like there was maybe there was a Lord Pack called the Grim and the Grave, um, which uh, it might not have even been 2017. It might have been 2016, uh, which introduced a couple of extra units to the Empire roster. Uh, the Empire has not seen any changes at all, and it is still the most commonly played faction in all of Total War Warhammer 2. Like, the devs will talk about this, where, like, you know, they, like, put all this work into making the Tomb Kings or put all this work into making, like you know the vampire coast or whatever and still no matter what the number of campaigns played that are empire dwarfs all of the other campaigns uh all of the other campaigns played and in the same vein that they did a big upgrade like they, they did a big sweeping upgrade of the vampire coast and they did a big sweeping upgrade of the dwarves um they are now doing the same thing to the empire and the way that they're changing it is essentially if you play as Karl Franz or Balthazar Gelt or Volkmar the Grim in campaign, in the Mortal Empires campaign specifically, um, your whole thing is about uniting, uh, it's about like playing politics internal to the Empire itself. Um, and like when you take territory, right? Like when you take Avarland or Soland or Ostmark or whatever, right? Like, uh, you can name certain members of your faction as the elector count of that province. And so, like, there's this kind of, like, give and take between your own, um, your own ability to... It's sort of like playing, like, the Holy Roman Empire in... Uh, in, in CK2? Yeah, CK2, or Europa Universalis, like, either of those, I guess. Where, like, okay. it's, it is a lot about managing, like, the kinds of whims and wishes of your subjects and trying to get them to sort of, like, integrate with you. Um, they have redone a bunch of the Mortal Empire's map in order to make it kind of better and more fun to fight uh, in the Empire over there. They're adding a Wood Elf faction in the northern forests, uh, which is, like, the Force of Laurelorn or something. Um 
which is there canonically in game. They're also adding another faction of greenskins somewhere in there. And they've broken up a couple of the other little provinces uh, to add in kind of uh, like, like bonuses. Like if anybody has ever played the Vermintide games, there is like, apparently the Vermintide games are like the lobby is like the red keeper or like the red horse Inn or something like that. And there's now in Uversreich, which is just like a town in the empire. There is like a red horse in, and it gives you a garrison of the different classes that you would, uh, that you, that you can play in Fermentide. And I think that kind of stuff is like, is That's very neat. cool and very interesting. Um, the other cool thing that they're doing is they're adding forts, which are a new type of settlement, uh, on the mountains, right? So there are these mountains on the Western edge of the empire, kind of from the Northwest to the Southwest. Um, and along those edges are like canonical mountain passes and those mountain passes are now held by mountain forts, which are their own specific kind of siege battle. They also added something similar to this with the high elf gates. Um, and so I'm expecting it to, to work a lot like that, but that stuff sounds great. And then that's just the empire stuff. The other thing that they're adding is Nakai, the wanderer, who is this like crazy, awesome Croxagor, you know, this crazy, awesome Croxagor general, but he functions like a horde, uh, where he has a, like he has his main army and all of his settlements are part of that army. Like all of his settlement buildings. Um, he can't actually occupy territory if he ever conquers something he has these three vassal factions that he kind of like constantly kind of can create uh and they're always you know like they can't rebel against him or anything like that and whenever he conquers like a town he can give it to the one of the vassal factions and those vassal factions can then like you give them enough towns and they give you a certain bonus or something kind of along those lines um so his whole thing is quite literally you know wandering uh wandering around the map and beating, you know, beating people up. Nakai the Wanderer is kind of like a deep cut into the lore. Like, one of the things that makes him cool is that he, he he's kind of one of these, like, mythic characters that comes out of the woodwork when, like, oh, when the Lizardmen are in their greatest time of, like, peril, right? Um, and there's a bunch of, like, neat little stories uh, about him. Like, for instance, there's an island off the coast of uh, Norska which is like the chaos, like frozen wastes in the north that is called Albion. That's essentially England, right? And it is constantly foggy. It is constantly raining year round 24 seven. And there was like a chaos invasion of Albion. And so Mazda Mundi, who's like the leader of the slan and the most powerful mage priest of the Lizardmen, literally just teleports Nakai all by himself to Albion to like, fix the chaos problem and leaves him there <laughs> and it's reflected in game because his start in the mortal empires is in albion which i love so much like what a crazy thing to see in like a total war uh to see in like a total war game uh the other cool thing that they are that they are bringing are a couple of new um a couple of new units the first being sacred croxagors which are these croxagors that kind of have like Imagine, like, boxing gloves, but made out of, like, metal. And that's what sacred Croxagors are. They run around with these magic boxing gloves, just, like, beating the shit out of things. Uh, And they're also adding in the Dread Saurian, which is another lore deep cut, because I think the Dread Saurian was a fan-created thing in, like, White Dwarf magazine or something like that, Um, which is basically a wingless dragon, uh, 
that's actually a really bad way to describe it. It's kind of like a giant crocodile or like a giant, giant Komodo dragon. Um, and it is purportedly the biggest unit that they have ever shipped in Total War Warhammer history, which is kind of nuts because they already have the woolly mammoths, which are like fucking gigantic in the Norska stuff. So suffice to say, I'm really excited. Uh, did did they announce so like a uh, Gotrek somebody or something like that? Yeah. Dwarf? So then there's, there's two other pieces that come with it. There's the free LC that has Gorok, the white lizard. Uh, Gorok is another lore uh, favorite. He is like a crazy powerful Saurus warrior. His campaign is honestly just like an easy lizardman campaign. It seems to be. He starts in Itza, which is a, a 10 slot city of which there are only a couple across the map. It has a gold mine, which is really useful in the early game to keep your economy up. And he also starts with Lord Croak, who is this, like, um, extremely powerful, zombified, like, mummified slan. And a typical lizardman can run through a quest line in order to unlock Lord Croak and, and like, bring him into your armies. Gorok just starts with him from level one, which seems fucking insane. Um... So that's free LC, and then there is another promotion, which is called, like, the Old Friends promotion, which is Gotrek and Felix, uh, Gotrek being a dwarven slayer, and Felix being his imperial elven scribe. He's, like, the historiographer who is, like, writing down the awesome stuff that Gotrek is uh, is doing, and that is like, canonically, fo- like, like, been a huge line of, like, Warhammer fantasy books that, like, the Warhammer fantasy nerds, like, just go fucking insane for. Um, so... That's 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 cool. The the interesting thing about Gotrek and Felix, actually, is that they're mercenary lords. Um, they... You can hire them... But they will only stick around in your faction for 20 turns, and then they will leave, and you can't recruit them for a while, and other civilizations can recruit them. And they will fight only for a couple of different... They'll like fight for, like, Bretonia and the Imperials and the Dwarves or something like that. Um, so they are... So that's how, that's how they... Uh, so that's how they work, and it's kind of... Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they get um, implemented into it. It's a big deal because the original... In Warhammer 1, people were asking a lot for them to put Gotrek and Felix in the game, and they said, listen, we, we just can't. We don't have the license uh, for that kind of thing. So it seems as though Warhammer has gotten an upgraded license with more access to uh, like like big-name lore characters. Makes sense. Um, and is that going to be free, or is that going to cost money? Uh, that is going to be free as well. It is... Okay. Coming out first in a magazine, in the White Dwarf magazine, like you get like the code ah. or something. Uh, but then eventually it'll be on Total War Access, which is just kind of like the, if you have like, it's like a battle.net, but for Total War, um, if you just have that account, that you will, you will get the, you will get the uh, free LC. Um, there's, there's been a couple of other pieces of free LC tied to the Total War Access account. So for most folks, if you have... You know, if you have all the free LC, you will get Gotrek and Felix in like a month. That's 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 really neat. Um, it's interesting because it seems like they're trying to drive sales back to the tabletop, which um, I don't know how popular like the tabletop like because whenever I hear about people playing the tabletop, everybody always plays 40k. I don't know. I don't think I know anybody who plays Warhammer Fantasy tabletop. Well, they discontinued uh, Fantasy. Uh, at oh, least. did they really? So the so Total War Warhammer is based on the Eighth Edition rule set, and then they had this whole thing called like world's end or something like that um which was this like giant end 
to the Warhammer fantasy universe as we know it, right? Like, the Lizardmen got in their spaceships and they flew into space. And oh, left. right, and Sigmar, like, flew around in, like, the core of the Earth or something. I, yeah, I, yeah, I like, all this other kind this. of stuff. And then they relaunched it as what's called Age of Sigmar, which is, like, the new stuff. And to be honest, it's basically 40k, but, like, with fucking knights instead of with space marines. So, you know, okay. think of that. I, I also heard it was well. very beer and pretzelsy. Um, which oh really? Yeah, I don't happy. know anything about how uh, how that one plays, um, but um, yeah, interesting. Well, neither of us play that, so neither of us are qualified to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, fair um, enough. Uh, so you just talked about like Warhammer DLC for fifteen minutes. Do you have anything yeah, else you really want to talk did about? Talk about War. Uh, so I had one other thing that I want to talk about. If my voice will let me, I guess. Uh, but do you have anything you want to bring up first? Um. So what have I done this week? Uh, big things are is, is right before we played this, Greedfall launched, and I played a couple hours of that. Haven't gotten out of the starting area yet. It's very janky, but it's very neat. I like the concepts. I end up, I feel like what's going to happen is I'm going to get to a point where like I can't deal with the jank anymore, but I will have enjoyed my time with it. This happens a lot with these kind of Euro-y games, right? Like this happened with um, Seven Days Long Gone. This happened with, uh, what's this game that gives an E by Piranha Bytes? Um uh, it's another kind of like one of these open world RPGs where you just kind of like derp around. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I think I'm going to enjoy my time with it, but I think it's like doomed to never be finished. Um, that's just the way that these games tend to go. Like I said, during the main part of the episode, I've been playing a ton of uh, PoE. I've been climbing the ladder in uh, League of Legends. Um, got a couple or got my first mastery seven seal on uh on nautilus very proud of that um but that's basically been was that was that in the ranked week. fives you guys were playing over the weekend yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yes yesterday we just like slammed through a bunch of ranked fives and we won almost all of them really um, yeah uh, uh so we started with ranked threes but then like even with with uh with uh who showed up it was nick and uh uh Oh, it was X. X. So it was team is friends of the cast. Nick, June Key, X, uh, me, and oh, and Josh. Um, and we basically like won all the games until Josh. Like the last one we started, we, we played and like you could tell Josh was a little bit tired, and then we started losing that game. And we're like, ah, this is a good time to end and not play yeah. anymore. Um, uh, so we we lost the last one, but we 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 played pretty pretty well for most of it. Um. Uh, funnily enough, like that lane, like the, the lane that I dread had historically dreaded the most was me and X in the bottom lane. That's what we played, but it worked out well. I guess X on Siver and me on Nautilus just clicked somehow. Um, and we won, I think we won our lane every game somehow. Um, but yeah, uh, it went really well. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. I've been, I've been very much enjoying that. Um, but I think that's. Like I said, everything until uh, until Borderlands Three comes out in a couple of days. Um, hashtag returns on investment. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have anything else you want to talk about? Buddy? Okay, so the the other thing that I wanted to talk about um, is uh, it's it is a proposed leak, a theoretical leak for the next expansion of World of Warcraft. We're coming up on BlizzCon two months away. Um, a lot of the times, every two years, they will do like the big BlizzCon announcement for what the next expansion will be. Uh, people, we are not quite there yet in terms of Battle for Azeroth, it seems. Um, 
we're like not at the position where we would be doing a uh like like in if for, for the expansion of battle for azeroth it does not seem like we are at the end game um like period where the the blizzcon announcement of the next expansion would make sense but maybe it will who knows kind of thing um so take all of this with an extreme grain of salt it was on 4chan um there is a video that i have linked mango to put in the show notes that explains a little bit about how like the stuff that was proposed actually does seem pretty reasonable and could be real right but i want to talk about the crazy spoiler theoretical spoiler of how battle for azeroth like goes and ends uh just because i'm like i just i just like need to talk about it okay so this is the proposition of how bfa goes right so at the end of 8.2 you defeat Azshara, but Azshara uh is successful at releasing nazath the old god nazath from his tomb in Nihilotha at the bottom of the sea, right? By going to um, by going to Ashara's Eternal Palace with the Heart of Azeroth, you the Heart of Azeroth basically unlocks um, Nizat's key or, or the key to Nizat's prison, and he is like now released. Oh, big scary! But the rest of the expansion doesn't actually deal with that. That's just set up, right? What eight point three focuses on is on Sylvanas's decisions as war chief and where this goes is <clears throat> she attacks thunderbluff this has been set up in the lore because bane bloodhoof betrayed her uh she put him in prison and the player character breaks him out of prison with thrall and with sourfang and so Sylvanas attacks thunderbluff and thrall is able to rally the alliance to come help defend right like the good upstanding members of the horde from the bad wicked evil ups- members of the horde that is a war front right there is a there is a thunderbluff mulgore war front um that gets that gets fought in 8.3 essentially between the forsaken and everybody else but that's just a feint what Sylvanas's real plan is is to go to stormwind and kill everybody there and ra- and kill everybody there right So the final raid of the expansion is a 10 boss raid where you go to Stormwind and it is literally, you know, like storming through the city. Um, Part of this is like Anduin gets void corrupted by Sylvanas or whatever. And you're fighting all of these like major Stormwind NPCs. And then the ninth boss battle is against, I think the ninth boss battle is like against Anduin. But the 10th boss battle is this giant melee, right? And what the melee is, is a council fight where you plus your faction leaders are fighting the enemy faction plus their faction leaders. So if you're Alliance, you're fighting, you know, Sylvanas and Lorthamar and and everybody else. Um, and if you are Horde, you are fighting like Anduin and like Taronda and stuff. <clears throat> and um, what happens is during this fight literally everyone dies 
the whole fight you are trying to kill the individual faction leaders and once you get the enemy faction leader to like 10 percent, they like do the thing where they like wipe the they like wipe the raid and then sylvanas and anduin are the last shoe up and there's a small thing and they kill each other and so all of the faction leaders of both factions lie dead in the stormwind keep and then what happens is and this is the crazy part that leads into the next expansion warcraft is over (laughs) yeah what that what happens is is all of your spirits are rezzed um by sylvanas's Vra- or, uh uh not very cool um sylvanas's valkyr and you are all of the ghosts of all of the people who have been fighting in bfa are shepherded off to the stormwind harbor where helia's f- ghost fleet um are arriving to take all of the souls that died in this giant battle to the Shadowlands. And as you're being, like, taken away, Sylvanas is like, good, now we can actually defeat Nizoth, right? And the whole thing is a giant ploy because the curse of flesh is what makes the is what makes people susceptible to like old god corruption right like the curse of flesh is literal old god corruption so like the way that people get like you know mind controlled by like the old gods or whatever is like through the curse of flesh but as like undead spirits they are immune to the void and you can actually go and like defeat nazoth and the other old gods now that you are a ghost essentially and so the next expansion is world of warcraft shadowlands where you play your character in the 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 like the shadowlands are like the are are basically azeroth but like dead if that makes sense it's like a it's like an alternate plane in the same way that like the feywild is sort of an alternate plane in right, like D right. lore um and uh and the whole thing is focused on finding and defeating like the forces of the void because you're like immune to them or whatever now like i said none of this could be true all of it could be true. Who knows, right? We'll probably find out in a couple of uh, in a couple of months. I, one of the funny things about Battle for Azeroth and leaks actually is that the leaks were pretty spot on about Cool uh, Tirus and Zandalar. Like there were a couple of leaks that hit a couple of uh, like points in Cool Tirus and Zandalar, but nobody really got the full scope of. Uh, Nobody really got, like, the full scope of the expansion, right? Like, there was information that it was going to be Zandalar versus Gultiris, that there were going to be druids on both factions, that it was going to be about, like, recruiting what ended up being the allied races, though that wasn't, like, the language used at the time. But, like, nobody knew it was called Battle for Azeroth. Nobody knew about Azerite or, like, Azshara or any of these other kind of, like, pieces of the puzzle. Um and so there is also the possibility that some pieces of this are true and some of it is false. Uh, do you do you do you have thoughts about any of this? Um, the only the only thing that like sounds super implausible, like that would explain like you know how they rebound from you know Sylvanas is Garrosh too. Um, it also explains that's like, the part that excites me the most, honestly. That is the um, part I just want so bad for Sylvanas not to be Garrosh two it also kind of explains what's happening what what happened in um uh you know the uh what was it the 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 the, the thing the, the thing yeah, the, the thing where she fought with with between her and and Gen Greyman um, yeah 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 uh with Helia um yeah cuz that has never been yeah. accurately explained um yeah 
so it seems plausible. The, the, only, the, only, the only character that I was waiting for you to mention that didn't get brought up, and I'm sure we'll figure it in some ways, is Baron Somdi. Right, like I'm sure he. Plays okay, a part okay. In that. So there, there. I'm leaving some of the stuff out, but Buansamdi is revealed in the. He's like a major character in the Shadowlands. Also, there's some stuff with the Lich King, which I can come back to. But um, uh, the um, the thing about Buansamdi is that he is actually working for Hakar, the Soul Flayer. Uh, and so part of the Shadowlands stuff is also dealing with, like, the dead gods that you have slain. And part of this is, like, the old gods, right? Like, Cthulhu and, like, Yogg-Saron and stuff like this. And part of this is also, like, the good guys, like... According to the reporting, a lot of the uh, a lot of the the Shadowlands stuff is about like meeting up with like Varian Rin or like Karen Bloodhoof, right? Like people who have died, um, like big major characters who have died in the Warcraft storyline in a temporary fashion. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, but also that means like the bad guys that you killed, like Fandral Staghelm or whatever, uh, or Hakar, have also ended up in the Shadowlands. And so yeah, that's the thing with Bonsamdi is that he is working for Hakar in the Shadowlands, and that's like. That's a thing. There's also something about Vol'jin also in in there. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so what this sounds like, I could see like any, like this all being like roughly accurate and the details being different, mm-hmm. right? Um, the other thing that I think, like this sounds like like the last expansion to World of Warcraft, right? Like, you know, like th- what you're describing to me sounds like a thing that they, like, you know, I'm saying this, and, you know, they managed to come back from whatever the fuck, uh, the end of, uh, uh, what was the one before this one? Uh, was it, uh, Legion, yeah. Legion felt like it was kind of ND, too. But, like, you know, I feel like you're really scraping the bottom of the, not not the bottom of the barrel, right? Because that implies, like, this feels, like, significant, but, like, it feels like the last big significant thing you can do before everything starts to, like, really fall apart and... I guess it's supposed to, like, fighting the Titans or something. I don't know. Um, but that would also, like, put it at about the right time, right? Like, I feel like that's, like, around when you hit, like, 20-ish years, right? Um, and maybe you have, like, some way to, like, reboot the universe, right? Like, so you can launch WoW 2 Electric Boogaloo. Um, but uh, that, 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 that's my, that's my like, gut on it. But that that's it. Yeah. Um, last thing to bring up maybe, um, is, is, uh, we've been talking a little bit about in, in private about the uh, spoilers for, uh, Eldraine, uh, the new magic expansion, uh, hashtag not sponsored, but I'm invested in, in Hasbro. Uh, um, but, uh, did you, did you have any big thoughts about, about, uh, about the, uh, the Eldraine spoilers at all? Uh, the, so the one card I saw that seems crazy is Questing Beast, which is 2GG, Vigilance, Death Touch, Haste. It can only be blocked by creatures with two or more attack. Or it can't be blocked by creatures with two or less attack. I might be misremembering yeah, that. It's the second one. And then the if it thing. deals combat damage to a player, it also deals an equivalent amount of damage to a planeswalker that player controls. That seems insane. Oh, you also forgot that damage from creatures you control can't be prevented. Uh, which is oh, the yeah. Other... Jesus Christ, right? Like, oh, my God. Yeah, so... I'm I'm interested about this card because like those last three are actually all kind of situational, right? Like it's like extra value on the card, but what it like you know the um, the damage to the planeswalker is just kind of it's actually it's the, like I'm not really thinking about it as damage to the planeswalker. It's like a bonus for damage to face 
because you're just attacking the face instead of attacking the planeswalker directly. Um, so the the mechan- like the, the effective thing is damage to face, um, which is not as valuable, right? Um, and like the can- damage from creatures you control can't be prevented is a very situational thing. But like just the three statics on it, right? Like um, vigilance, haste, and death touch are kind of nuts. Um, the only th- like removal is kind of like big at this point in magic, at least as I've seen it. So like maybe the point is just it just becomes like a crazy uh, a crazy removal magnet, right? Um, which can war- warp the meta, right? Because you got you've got to hold on to a removal against the green deck because it's probably running questing beast, but. Um, I don't know. The, the other big thing is that um, in Arena, they uh, they had, uh, essentially, you could run, uh, for an event, you could run decks, pre, pre-con decks from Eldraine, with some of the spoilers in it. Um, and it was actually uh, Commander format, so, you know, hopefully that's coming. It, they didn't call it Commander, um, but it's basically Commander, and hope, so hopefully that's coming to MTGA, which is neat. Um, but there's some really cool mechanics, like... Um, there's There are these cards called Adventure, or that have, like, they're basically, like, double-frame cards... Um, they're creatures with a spell on them, and if you cast a spell, you exile the card, and you can cast the card from exile. Um, which seems like it was like a mechanic developed for MTGA that they figured they could like port into real Magic, which is like not confirmed, but like that—that's like that—that that seems like a very computery uh, mechanic. Um, but I, I know I'm always excited for new Magic cards. It seems very neat. I'm, I'm very on board with the theme of this, which is basically like fairy tales and Brothers Grimm and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a neat expansion, um, uh, but they kind of always are, right? So, um, you know, uh, I don't know if there's much more to talk about that. We'll probably talk about it more maybe when it comes out. But that's everything I had, buddy. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I have nothing else that I'm looking to talk about. Um, in that case, you'd like to talk to us about what you think about loot pinatas or world of warcraft or magic the gathering or any of the other things we talked about in this podcast you can check subdurseplaygames at gmail.com or subdurseplaygames or rather podcast at subdurseplaygames.com um you can also twitch.tv slash subdurseplaygames you can rate and review us on itunes and wherever good podcasts are found and you can uh uh, oh you can support us on patreon at patreon.com slash subdurseplaygames um but that's everything buddy do you have anything you wanted to promote i have nothing else i'm looking to promote In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.